Lord has just had this, this word inside of me. And um, I asked the Lord, like, what, what it was going to be called. And, and, um, and he started talking to me about fruit for a generation. And a lot of the times, you know, even when our ministry started, our ministry started with youth. Our ministry, how it was put in place, how it begun was with the youth. And um, every time that, you know, it was almost like God gave me these youth. And at the same time, like, <laughs> I was growing up and I was maturing and I was stepping into who God had called me to be at the same time. And because of that, the Lord would always, always let me see them as, man, you can't give up. Man, you have to keep pushing forward. You have to keep moving forward because there's such a generation that we're responsible for that we have to take hold of. And sometimes we get so intertwined and involved in our own issues and our own problems as adults that we forget about what's to come. And from the beginning, there was people that didn't have that mindset. The Lord always had a mindset for the future. He, it wasn't just about yesterday or the now, but it was about a future to come. That's why there was so much prophecy. That's why there was so much that was put into play even in scriptures to give hope, to give encouragement to the future of our generations. And so, um, so I have been, you know, praying, and, and the Lord began to show me, like, how Moses, Moses didn't even know in the beginning what his calling was. The Lord had to come and show him things and tell him things of, of what he was going to do. And I can't even imagine, like, that overwhelmingness that he felt when he was called to pull a whole generation out of Egypt to go into, into the promised land. And so I started thinking of Moses, and the Lord's like, yeah, Moses always thought of generations. Because they didn't just take the, the young ones. They didn't take just the old ones. They didn't just take, you know, the, the, the middle-aged group. They took all the generations, and, and they took them out of Egypt into a promised land. And I started to think about that, and I was like, Lord, I was like, you've always had generations on your heart. It was always for more. It was always for bigger and greater things. And it wasn't just for us or our growing up or our what, what we do. But the Lord began to show me. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, even Abraham in Genesis 15, 5, it says, then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven. That was the key right there, is that he told him to look towards heaven. Because it wasn't his perspective. It wasn't his mindset. It was something he was going to see in heaven. And then he says, and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. That was a powerful statement God was telling him. Because God was telling him, look. It's not just about you now, 
but it's about the descendants, the generations to come, that there's going to be so many that you can't even count them because if you look up in the sky into the heavens and see the stars, there's too many. We are a part of that generation that was spoken years ago to even Abraham of the descendants and those stars. And see, I don't think he could even, um, he couldn't even understand that at that time, Abraham. I don't think any of us could if God would have come to tell us something like that. And this is what he's been telling me. He's like, you know, he's like, you can't just do what you do just for now, just, just to get by, you know, because our mindset has to begin to change that we don't do things just to get by, to make it to tomorrow. Our mindset has to change where we're not just trying to get through the week, get through the month, get through a year. But the Lord's like, there's so much more. You've got generations after generations after generations that are going to come after you. That there's something you have to leave them with. There's something you have to leave them with hope. You have to leave them with the prophetic words. You have to leave them with some kind of movement that my spirit has always been about. And that's why it's important that we let the generations that are around us, the multiple generations, that's why every generation is needed. The older, the middle, and the young. That's why they're all three important in the generations because it's like giving a baton over you have to envision that when you you do what you do now but eventually you're going to hand a baton over and you're going to give it to somebody else to continue the race you're going to hand it over to somebody else and you know even like even like this whole situation with even our from our family here that they just experienced that person who passed away handed over a baton. Now her husband gets to run with that baton. You see what I'm saying? So we can't just look at things the way that we want to look at them. So as I'm going through this whole process of the fruit for a generation, I just began to ask the Lord. I said, God, I said, how do we keep the fruit? You know how if, you, if you've ever bought fruit before... It doesn't last very long, right? It like, you got to eat it right away because if you don't eat it right away, man, it's going to go bad, right? My thing to the Lord was like, God, how do we sustain the fruit? How do we keep the fruit good? Keep it good for the next generations to come. How is it that in the spirit that we can apply that fruit, that everlasting fruit, that even the garden would contain that fruit for the next generations to come. And this is what he showed me. He took me into John 15, 1, 17. And he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Some of us don't want to go through the pruning. But guess what? If we don't get pruned and let the Lord come take away the things that are not of him, then how are we going to allow the fruit that he's placed inside of us to continue to live on? It eventually will wither away and die 
because it cannot sustain itself. It cannot stay alive by just our own works. It has to come, that he comes and prunes us and takes away those areas. If I have a garden and if I don't clean it up, it becomes this huge mess. And then I have a hard time and I have to really search and move things around to find the fruit, to find the things that I have planted. So do I want the next generation that's going to come to have to search for things? Or do I want to clear the way to where the next generation comes, they can directly go find the fruit? Do I, how, you know, that's what he had in mind with Moses. That's what he had in mind with Abraham. So then it, if you continue reading, it says that, And every branch that does not bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Why do we go through the pruning? Because it's going to bear more fruit. It's going to bear more fruit. And I don't know about you, but I want the fruit, the more fruit, and the fruit that lasts, not just for me and my family, but for my grandkids and their kids and their kids and their kids. And it's going to go on and on and on. And it says, you, you, uh, it says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. From a, for apart from me, you cannot do nothing. Sometimes we're trying to do everything what we know how to do is right. And we're trying to do it on our own strength, on our own works, on our own doing. And God's like, no, you need me. Without me, you can't do anything. I'm your vine. I'm who you connect to. You're the branch. You're coming up and out of me. So every time that you think of fruit, you got to connect yourself to that vine of who he is. Because if you expect fruit and much greater fruit to come, you've got to connect yourself to the vine so that way you can have the more of the fruit that he's going to give inside of us and with us to bear more fruits for generations to come. And then it says, and then, um, and then I, was, I was reading into it, and vines symbolize prosperity, I don't know about you, but I want every single generation that comes and that is even a part of us even now to be recipients of the prosperity. I don't want them to think the way that I used to think. I don't want them to come and gleam from a place that what I used to be. I want them to come and gleam of me attaching myself to the vine and connecting myself with him, abiding in him and him in me, that that fruit that is produced is not going to go bad and wither away and fall to the ground and die. Like the trees, you know, when the fruit begins to fall off the trees and it sits on the floor, it rots. I don't want to have rotting things that just fall off and, and let it just, and watch it rot away. But I want to be able to be a part of that seed, of that sowing that comes for the next generation. And it says, you know, the, this, you know, let me read to you over here. It says, 
If you go on to read into 1516, it says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Immediately after he talks about that fruit, that fruit that remains, that fruit that remains is attached to loving one another. You cannot have the fruit of the next generations to come and not have the loving one another. It's a part of it. it we become, you know, I, you know I, the Lord was telling me the other day, he's like, you can't just read your word. You have to become the word. It has to live. It has to breathe. It has to be inside of you. It has to be not just another book that you read, but it becomes something that is alive inside of you. My favorite scripture of all is the fruits of the Spirit. If you want to self-examine yourself, or maybe you want to just ask God for insight for yourself, this is what we should all look like. We should look like in Galatians 5, 23, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what we should look like. This is what the fruit should look like that we're bearing for the generations to come. It says in Psalms 145.4, it says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. That word commend, it means to entrust, given in charge, deliver with confidence. We want to be confident in what we're reading about in our word. We want to be confident in what God is telling us for this season so we can feed the generations. We can't just speak about a scripture and not be confident and believe in that word and believe in that scripture of what we're saying out of our mouths anymore. We have to come in confidence that it's going to happen. It's for real. Like what we're speaking out of the word of God is going to happen because we're declaring it. It says in Psalms 100, and 100 verse 5, it says, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love, it endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. It doesn't say to some or maybe. It says to all generations. Genesis twenty-two eighteen. it says, And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. That sounds like abiding in me and me and him, right? That's what it sounds like when you abide in the Lord, that you're listening to his voice to even be able to, to, uh, to see the nations of the earth be blessed. Luke 150, it says, And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's talking about it because it's in his heart. It's something that he has burning inside of him from the heavens that is from generation to generation. It's not just for us. Everything we say, everything we do is supposed to impact 
those around us that they would continue to do the race that they're called to do, that they're built up, and that we begin to make things a little easier for them because that's what all the people in Scripture did for us. Even the generals of faith, they came on board and they tore down walls that were done before we even came for us to even have the freedom that we have even now. That's what they were looking towards. And it says, Psalm 78, 4 says, We will not hide them from their children, but tell the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. We have to keep quit speaking the negative things. We're real quick to say when we're having problems, when we're going through things, when we're dealing with issues, but we don't, we don't talk about the good deeds God does often enough. Because if we did, it would change the next generation to know that who we're serving is powerful. He has wonders. He has, he has might. And he's glorious in his deeds for us. That is the impact. That's the transformation that we have to begin. That, that when somebody comes to us of the other generations, they can eat off of our fruit. They can come and they can partake of the fruit that we bear. And we have something to give to them. Something of substance. Not just, you know, not just the rotten fruit off the floor. But we can say, man, I have, man, I'm in the garden. He's abiding in me. I'm abiding in him. We are walking in the cool of the day. And what I have to offer you, man, it's going to taste so good to your mouth. It's going to be so juicy, so delicious, the fruit that I have to offer you, that when you have one taste of it, one taste of it, you're going to be changed forever. Because you're going to know of the true God that has glorious deeds of wonder. See, that's a whole different story right there. Then walking around with your head down, being defeated, dealing with all these issues and problems. And let me tell you, the next generation, they're watching us. They are watching us. They are listening to us. They are observing how we react to things, how we respond to things. I know because I've got two in my own home. And that's the first thing I think of is my sons that are younger than me because I want to be an influence to them that when they go through things of the same situations that they know how to, how to react, they know how to respond in those situations, not according to our flesh, but according to the spirit of the Lord. And then it says, so we go through this and we understand the generations to generations, right? Right? I want to share this because I have a habit sometimes of, like, pushing forward <laughs> too quickly. And I don't want to go quickly this morning. I want to go back to the abiding in the vine. And it says, uh, I was reading this in my word the other day. And it says, we can easily become performance-oriented. That sounds like religious, religious mindset, Right? Judging ourselves and our relationship with him by a scorecard on which we keep our accomplishments. However, the Lord does not judge us by what we produce, but rather by our obedience. 
to him by how well we are abiding in the vine. When you're abiding in the vine, you're obedient to him. Your obedience comes to him. You got issues going on in your life, guess what? Your obedience is to him. All these other things that happen in your life, in your family, all these other situations have to come from that place of abiding in the vine, in him. You see what I'm saying? Well, well, so-and-so did this to me. Well, so-and-so did that to me. Well, you know, they offended me. They hurt me. They did all this stuff. And here's this generation, all a mess, hurt and broken. And we haven't showed them. Man, if you just abide in the vine, abide in the Lord. It's not about anybody else. It's about you and him. That's what Peter was talking about, the secret place this morning. When you're abiding in him, nothing else matters. People can offend you. People can try to hurt you. All these situations can erupt in your life. And abiding in him is what you focus on. Man, yeah, I know that person did blah, blah, blah. But I'm going to abide in you, God. And when I abide in you, I'm going to be obedient to your voice. I'm going to be obedient to what you're saying, God. Not be detoured or taken off a path because of what people are saying to you. It's so easy to receive counsel, not by abiding in the vine, but receive counsel from flesh, from other things. You know, I've, I've seen this so many times where people will counsel, and they'll counsel from a place of being hurt themselves. They'll counsel from a place of them going through tragedy and things that have happened in their lives, and it's not even from the vine. It's not from abiding in him. The way that he looks at things, the way that he talks about things, it has to come from that vine. It can't come from ourselves. Everybody knows about the Azuzo Street Revival, right? In the 1900s, right? Everybody's heard about this revival, right? Anna Hall said this during the Azusa Street Revival in 1906. This is what she said. It said, let me warn you, dear ones, do not try to prune one another. Let Jesus do the pruning and the purging. If you see a brother or sister doing anything you do not approve of, Instead of blazing it abroad, get down on your knees and say, My father, I honor you to bring them out of this fault. We have to begin to do that for one another. We have to be laid down lovers for the Lord, abiding in his vine. That we look like him, we talk like him, we walk like him. And we smell like him. That when we're in our worship, our fragrance that comes off of us is smelling like the Lord. It's smelling like heaven. Not like trash. <laughs> Not trashy stuff. That's what it talks about. That's what he's saying. He's saying, man, he's like, I know, I know. I know that, that so-and-so did this and so-and-so said that. We have such a generation right now that they're resulting to so many other things than running to Christ because we haven't done our job. We haven't taught them to abide. 
We haven't taught them about abiding to the vine in love, loving one another, that he can come and do a work inside of us. I was reading this on Friday. We do a, a radio broadcast. And I was reading this on the radio, and it was, it was so good. It's called Pressing Towards the Goal. This is, this is Paul talking. And it said, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ, in, call of God in, in Christ Jesus. That was so powerful. It was like, I'm leaving behind. I'm not stretching back anymore. I'm not, I'm not, how does he put it? He says, he says, I'm not, it says, I'm, I'm, I do forgetting those things, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward. You have to let go and forget about the things behind sometimes in order for you to move forward. You have to, like, there's no, there's no way you can do it. If you keep looking backwards, if you keep stretching your arm backwards, you'll never move forward. You'll never reach forward. And then you're like, well, what? How can I even do that? How do I move forward? He pulls you forward because you're reaching out to him. You're not reaching out to people. You're reaching out to the Lord. And he's pulling you forward. That you would reach the goals in your life that he put inside of you. Not man, but that he put inside of you. So I go reading on and I'm like, man, God, so we, we press on. We go to our goal. We press forward. I think that if there's anything that we need to do. And I was, I was reading about this, is about having, you know, I heard a song on Friday that I hadn't heard in a really long time, and it was talking about obsession. And some of us can be obsessed with so many things in our lives. We can be obsessed with our jobs. We can be obsessed with being depressed. We can be obsessed with all the things that are happening around us that we don't focus on the obsession of him. We have to begin to be obsessed with him. If there's anything that I say, be obsessed with, be obsessed with him. Be so focused on him. Be so obsessed and intertwined with him that you're abiding in him and him in you, that you become one with him. And then it says, then he goes on, he says that there's rewards for this abiding. God has rewards for us for this abiding. Because, see, nobody talks about the rewards. Nobody talks about the blessings. Nobody talks about that, you know, God is a blessing God. He is a good God. And then it says in Psalms 19, 9 through 11, it says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they... Then gold, even much, much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings off the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them 
there is a great reward. All the perseverance, all the pushing through, all the things you go through in life, there is a reward that God wants to begin to allow us to taste of his goodness and see. Psalms 127.3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord and the fruit of the womb a reward. There's that fruit again, the fruit of the womb. Moses in Hebrews 11.26, it says, Esteeming the, the, the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. He had everything. He was well off, Moses. He was well off with Pharaoh. He was well off in that area. He had everything he needed. But something inside of him, he chose the vine. He chose God. And he suffered like the people did during that moment because of what he chose. But then, but then, it said that he chose it says, it says, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Moses knew that there was something greater than what he saw with his natural eye, that there would be such a greater reward that he would receive, that that's what he focused on. He's like, I know all this is vanity, all of this is, you know, I have everything I need, but there's something bigger then what I'm seeing with my natural eye, there's something greater that even I'm called to do than just be a part of this family. You see what I'm saying? God literally understood the reward that was going to come to him. Abraham said this in Genesis 15.1. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. He not only told Abraham, hey, I'm here to protect you, but also for him to know that there was something greater of reward that Abraham would receive by being faithful, by abiding in the vine with the Lord. Since we no longer can just read the word but become the word, in 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproach, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Romans 15, 4, it says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. I hear a lot of people, especially on Facebook, that have lost their hope. They've lost their hope. They're focused on the wrong thing. You see a bunch of junk and trash all over there. And then... They're like, then all of a sudden they put a scripture up. And I'm thinking, you lost your hope, then you put a scripture, but are you living what the scripture says? You can't do that. You have to become the word in living. We are his body. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his legs. We are his voice. 
We are ambassadors of Christ, that we connect ourselves in abiding to the vine, that we hear his voice, and then it comes in and out of us unto others. It's living and it's breathing and it's real. He didn't create the word just so we could memorize it. Like, oh, yeah, you know, I met, oh, I know that book. You, you hear people in church sometimes. Oh, yeah, they'll repeat the verse that you're saying. They know it well. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Okay, yeah, but do you know the love that he's talking about? Do you get it? Because you don't get it. Because if you got it, you still wouldn't be sitting there in the chair repeating a verse. It would be evident in your life. You wouldn't have to repeat a verse. You would be living and breathing that love. You would be living out and walking out that love. You can't just memorize scripture and think something magical is going to happen. No, you have to breathe him in. You have to take every word you're reading and saying, God, let me, let me step into it. Let me catch wind of what you were talking about in here because it's living and it's breathing. We no longer can survive just by memorizing something. I'm glad you know your word. I'm glad you, you can memorize it, but we got to get to a deeper place. We can't just stay surface Christians anymore, surface believers anymore. What we're posting on our Facebook, do we believe it? Are we living it in our own lives, what we're posting? In Psalms 119, this is, this is so good. It says the word has to be stored up in your heart. It has to be stored up in your heart. The word of God. If it's not stored up in your heart, then what are you doing with it? Is it the fruit that falls off and gets rotten on the floor? That once you walk away from your word, it doesn't do anything? that it withers away, you have to carry it here. You have to carry the word of God in your heart. That when you want to give up or, or, or tribulation comes or things come to you, you got it right here stored in your heart. And your heart is what pushes you. It's what takes you. You know, any revivalist, any kind of person of the generals of the past that went through revival, it was burning in their heart. They had scriptures engraved in their heart. And when they talked about their word, it was a burning thing. It wasn't just something they did because they had to do. Well, I got to sit and read my word for 10 hours a day. Okay, well, out of that 10 hours, what is it doing to you? Is it transforming you? Is it conforming you? Or what is it doing to you? Is it bringing you back to life? Because the word of God brings life. It doesn't bring death. And if you're still in a state of death from reading your word, then something's not right there. When you pick up your word, it should breathe life into you because it's the breath of God. It's the breath of God coming on words. He did this so we would understand it. He could have easily done it spirit to spirit. But he said, no, let me put it in words in black and white so they know that it's real. So they know that it exists. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. It says, For as the rain and the snow came down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, 
making it bring forth the sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. He's talking about us. That thing that he sent you to do, that thing that he created you to do, he's talking about it, that the rain would come from heaven, the snow would come from heaven and begin to seep into your spirit, into your soul. That you become that sponge and soak it all up, all those waters, the living waters of God. And it's not going to come back empty to him. But what he has sent out is going to come back in the fullness in the wholeness. That's why we can't remain sick in our mind. We can't remain sick in our body. It's got to come back in wholeness. The Lord's been telling me over and over again this past week, we are in our blooming season. Our spirit is ready. We are ready inside of us to begin to bloom again to begin to come out of the darkness, to let the light of God begin to shine on us. The light of God comes and shines on us, and it causes things to grow, and it causes things to manifest, and things start coming up and out of us that we didn't even know were there. God is trying to do a work in every one of us, but are we going to abide in the vine? Are we going to listen to him? In him doing a work in us. Is the alarm going to be sound off in our spirit that we are awoken and we're like, okay, God, what is it that you want to do inside of us? What's the work you're trying to do inside of me? I don't want to fight you no more. I don't want to stop what you want to do inside of me, God. I want you to come and I want you to pull off all those things, God, that are not of you. Take out the branches that you didn't put there. Take out the rotten stuff. Clean my garden this morning. Come clean my garden. Take out all the stuff that you didn't put there, God. You never meant for me to touch or have, but I touched it and I have it now. So God, only you could be the one to pull it out of me, God. Ephesians 2 says, 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship. It says, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. When did he prepare it? He prepared it way before you were even born. He prepared it beforehand that we should walk in them. You can't say that he didn't put something in you if you haven't stepped out in faith to try it. Why? I don't know. God keeps telling me to do this, and I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that or not. And God's like, I've already put it inside of you. It's sitting right there. You just have to listen to my voice and begin to do it. Begin to walk it out. Begin to let me take out the branches that I didn't ever put there that are rotting the whole entire garden. I got fresh fruit for you to eat today. You want to eat the rotten fruit from the floor? Or you want to eat the good fruit from the tree that is fresh and big and juicy. That's what he wants to put inside of you. The, the, the freshness, the fullness, the purity of who he is inside of you through that vine. 
We are citizens of heaven. I'm telling you right now, we are citizens of heaven. If you think of yourself as anything else, let me just stop you right there and let you know you are a citizen of heaven. It says in Philippians, it says in 3.20, it says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we are also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Remember, he chose you. You didn't choose him. If you think that you're alone or you think you're going through something by yourself, no, 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 no. You're not alone. He is with you. He chose you. Well, I don't know if I'm good enough, God. I, I, you know, I've made so many mistakes in my life, God. I don't know if I'm good enough for you, God, because, you know, I just messed everything up. I messed up this whole garden, and it's a mess now. And God's like, no, I chose you before you chose me. And if he chooses you before you chose him, that means he's the cleaner. He's the one that comes, cleans up the garden. He's the one that comes and tills it and makes it all new again. But you got to ab abide in the vine. you got to come reach out your hand forward to let him begin to tear those branches up and out of you that were never meant to be there. <clears throat> if you keep reading, it says, Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. You are his beloved. I don't care how many mistakes you made. I don't care what kind of situations you've been in. You're his beloved. Nothing has changed. God doesn't say you're beloved one day and the next day he totally X you out of your inheritance. He comes to say, look, I got a better way for you. I got a better life for you. Don't turn, it's not about turning and burn or bur turn before you burn. It's not about that. It's about you're so in love with Jesus, abiding in his vine. You're so in love with him that you're like, man, God, I want to learn your ways. I want to learn the things that you have for me that were never taught to me. I want to learn your ways through Holy Spirit that you're going to teach me how to love. You're going to teach me what this, what this walk looks like with you, God. And then he says, I don't want you eating that rotten fruit anymore. I don't want you going back to those sinful things, doing those same things over and over again in those old patterns. I've got something really good for you over here. I got the freshest fruit available for you. All you have to do is say you want it. And you attach yourself to his vine. And you abide in him and him in you. And you say, okay, God. Let's walk in the cool of the day. Let's help build inside of me what you saw from the very beginning. Since before I was born, you saw something of greatness inside of me that I still can't see for myself. But you see it, God. And because you're the director, you're the one putting everything in place. You're the director of my life. 
that I would come to you, abide in you, and say, God, show me. Show me, God, how to change it. Show me what you what you created me for. Show me the greatness that lies inside of me that I haven't discovered yet. We can make all kinds of accomplishments in the natural and get rewards and awards from companies and jobs and all this stuff, and nothing is more greater than his reward. Nothing comes even close to his reward that he gives us. He gives us himself, and himself is everything. He's everything for us. He is your healer. He is your provider. He is the one that keeps your mind right when you want to lose your mind. He is the one that comes in and, and smooths things over when the, when the road gets rough. He should be your everything. Not depend on somebody else to be on your, your everything. No, you depend on him for your everything. That when you get up in the morning, you say, God, you're my everything, God. If chaos is around you, God, you're my everything. I can't even look at the chaos. I can't look at all the junk and all the mess. But you're my everything, so I got to look to you, God. We're just going to stand this morning. And we're going to ask the Lord to begin to show us some things. We have to be the fruit for a generation. We cannot be selfish anymore just about us, just about, oh, what we're doing. You know that everything you do impacts a generation? Whether you're a worshiper, whether you dance, whether you preach, whatever it is God has you do, whatever he's created you to do, it's always been for a whole generation to gravitate to it, to pull from who you are, who God created you to be. And you know what? It's not just some of us. It's all of us. That's what you need to get. It's not just some of us. It's all of us. All of us were created for greatness. All of us are his kids. All of us are citizens of heaven. Not just some of us, all of us. So just reach out your hands. God, we ask you this morning, God, that you would attach us again to the vine. You would allow us to abide in you, and you abide in us, God. That you would pull out every branch, God, that you didn't put there. That is spoiling the garden, God. That the fruit, God, that's going to begin to come out, God, is going to be the freshest fruit, God. You're tilling my garden this morning, God. You're tilling my garden, God. And in the garden, there's peace. And in the garden, there's rest, God. Show your children the big fruit, God. 